Several big cards are being sold for big losses. Investors who bought big cards just months ago are now selling them and taking a massive loss. And now the Luca Logo Man is up for sale. Could it happen again? And what does this mean? We'll tell you what we think now on Cards on the Table. Hello, sports card investors, and welcome to another episode of Cards on the Table, our fast-paced talk show where we cover important topics from the world of sports cards. Joining me today, as always, we got Mr. Teapot. Welcome back to the show, sir. Always enjoy my time with you, gentlemen. I know you always do, and somebody here who rarely enjoys his time with us. Doug, welcome back to the show. I always, I always enjoy my time with both of you. This is my favorite show to do every week. Oh, that's... Might be the only show you do every week, but we welcome you back to the show regardless, Doug. Thanks for being here. We got some great topics today, and this first one has caught my eye. It has caught my attention because there's kind of an odd pattern happening, and I don't fully understand it, right? Like, let's say, for example, Justin Herbert's RPA. It was bought back in February of this year. Uh, his National Treasures RPA was bought back in February of this year for $96,000. Light. The exact same card, the same serial number, the same card was then sold recently in October for $59,000. Maybe no surprise that that card lost value over the course of this year. A lot of cards have gone down. A lot of high-end cards have gone down in value this year. But what was the thought process to buy the card in February in a declining market only to sell it in October when the market is really down this month? That seems like an unusual move but it's a move that we have seen happen repeatedly this year. We've seen a number of big cards that have been bought in recent months, turned around and then sold into the wake of the sports card market dropping further. A big example of this was the Kobe Bryant 1996 Topps Refractor rookie card, the black label, one of only two black labels that exist. Now that one was bought last year, last March, for a record price of $1.8 million dollars but then it was resold a couple of months ago. The same exact copy was resold a couple of months ago for only $800,000, a $1 million loss over the course of just a little bit over a year. And we've seen, we've seen other cards you know, take big losses over the course of this year as well. Some of them, the exact same card being resold months later at a loss. And what makes this very timely today is we've just found out that the Luca Logo Man the, the 2018 National Treasures one-of-one one Luca Logo Man, the holy grail of Luca cards, which was bought for $4.6 million a couple years ago, is now going back up for sale again now. Why now? Why does it make sense to sell this card now? Teapot, can you make any sense of what's going on here? I can, and I'm going to use your rationale that you've given in the past, which is, Clearly, some of these people must think that they've got better investment opportunities with the money they can get now than waiting for the card to potentially recover. That's the biggest thing I can think of. Now, I'm hearing, unfortunately, I'm hearing a lot of people saying, I need to sell before it's too late. Mm -hmm. Now, before it's too late can mean one of two things. It can mean cards are going to zero and I will literally lose everything. That's a little fatalistic and I think we all, that's the Vegas Dave mindset that I don't think any of us have adopted. And it could mean before it's too late because 
Maybe they don't think they're coming back in the next two years, five years, who knows how long it's going to be. But if you've got that Kobe and you say, I can take my $900,000 today and hedge against inflation and a recession and everything else in a better way, or I can invest it into this new tech startup that I think is going to blow up faster and make my money back quickly, that's got to be the main rationale. Now with the Luca, I've been speculating with friends and trying to figure out what do I think this card's going to go for. I'm having a really hard time pinning down. Like I don't know who the potential, what the market is yeah. for that card. Luca's killing it so far. The Mavs, they're kind of struggling a little bit, but Luca's killing it. He's playing as, as you would expect, better than expected. But if that card went for 1.8 million, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be shocked. Right. Yeah. If the card went for above 3 million, I would be shocked. I would be surprised. I'm too. somewhere in the like 2.3 to 2.8 yeah. range is where I think it's going to yeah. go. But way less wouldn't surprise me because of what we've been seeing with some of these cards. And we, but we all agree it's likely going to go for way less than the four point yes. six yeah. million. It's going to be a loss. Reportedly paid for. Now that was a yeah. private sale, right? It wasn't yeah. through a public auction. There's house. some speculation too that there were trades yeah. potentially involved in that, so it's a little tough to gauge. But yeah, to your point, it, it was a private sale. I think they took a photo of the of the of the check, but that could have been like I think there was a photo of the check. There was but a photo, yeah. Could it could have been a little bit of a prop? It was a private sale. We don't Who know knows. for sure. Um, yeah, so what you're referring to there, Teapot, is, is the sunk cost Correct. fallacy. You and it's, it. you know, if you have a investment of any type, it doesn't matter if it's a sports card or a piece of real estate or shares in a company, you know, you shouldn't pay attention to what you paid for it and the profit or loss that you made on it to date. You should pay attention to what it is worth today and what that same amount of money could, could do, do for, for you if yeah. it was reinvested elsewhere. Exactly. So possibly that's what's happening. Possibly the owner of the Luca Logoman, uh, who I know he's a very prominent collector, has, a, has a, a lot of other really amazing, amazing, amazing cards. Or possibly that owner of that Kobe Refractor, you know, was just saying, yeah, I know I lost a million dollars on it. I know I'm only gonna get $800,000 today and I paid 1.8 million, but, but I could put that $800,000 to better use than keeping it in this card. Maybe that is the thought process. Is that what you think is going on, Doug? That was definitely one of my thought processes, and I got it from you. So just like Teapot said, that crossed my mind pretty quickly. People sell for all kinds of reasons. People will take a loss for all kinds of reasons. They might liquidate to fund a bigger, bigger purchase. They might liquidate because they need emergency funds for something that happened in their life. It's almost Christmas. Maybe you need to buy some Christmas presents. Maybe there's a tax incentive. Who knows? Yeah, So, but for people spending this kind of money on cards, they're probably isolated from a lot of the reasons someone like myself would take a loss. The only thing that makes sense to me, and I'm no CPA, but it's what you just said, you know, it's getting close to the end of the year, removing tax liability from yourself as well. So that's a potential that goes into that, but ultimately I'm not really sure. Either way, whatever shakes out with this, I think it's going to be interesting to hear the narrative. If this card were to do really well and sell for a lot of money, there's going to be a lot of people saying, well, it was shield to pump up the market. If it does really poorly, then every, you know, there's going to be a lot of sky is falling type uh, uh, comments come out about it. So you know, it'll be funny to see which way the narrative goes after the fact, but me personally, I don't know why now is the time. I, I, the tax thing's interesting. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that could be the exact play with the Luca Logoman. I don't know that for the case, but I don't know that for sure. But what I do know is that every December, I get a call from my investment broker and he says, okay, this is how all of our stocks have done over the course of the year. You know, you've made this much in gain. I recommend selling this one, this one, and this one. Not because I don't believe in those stocks, yeah. but let's sell those because those are down. Let's take the loss to offset the gain so you don't have to pay as much tax at the end of the year 
or you kick the tax burden down the road, you're helping offset the tax burden. Wouldn't be surprised if that's happening here. If you're going to sell a card through a major auction house for tax purposes, this is kind of the window to do it because you got to get that sale completed yeah. and the money transferred by the end of December. So you better be putting that thing in the premier auction right now in order to make sure that that all is all taking place before the end of the year. So that, that might make some sense from that standpoint. It's interesting. It yeah. would. I, I, I hate that it's happening. I hope that the people who are cashing out of these cards are in fact reinvesting in other cards. That's probably not always the case. We're probably seeing money leave the hobby. Maybe not with this individual though. We know who this is. Their collection is robust. Yeah, they got a great collection. Yeah. yeah so I, yeah. So I'm not. I don't totally know the strategy there. What I do know is I'm keeping an eye on these things. I'm not going to be bidding on the Luca Logo Man, but. I did bid on that Kobe Refractor Black Label. I bid a lot for it. I didn't end up buying it at 800. That was a little bit above my max bid, but I bid on it. And so I, I'm watching this stuff. Who knows? Maybe, Who knows? maybe, I tell you what, cards are a lot more affordable today than they, if you want to buy some Grail cards, they're a lot more affordable today than they were a year or two ago. So not a bad time at all to be a collector uh, here in the months ahead. All right, let's move to our second topic. Somewhat related, this is about investing in vintage and collecting vintage cards, why you should have vintage cards in your collection. And this builds upon the video teapot that you did for the Market Movers YouTube channel this past weekend. And check out the Market Movers YouTube channel if you haven't seen it yet. Teapot does videos every weekend. Subscribe to that channel. Uh, five reasons why you should be collecting vintage. So tell us a little, walk us through this. Yeah, I wrote, a, I wrote an article a few months ago for Basketball Card Fanatic magazine about the curious collector and kind of the discovery process of finding your way into vintage. And a lot of it for me had to do with like reading about some random athlete and finding out that he grew up 30 minutes down the road from where I did and you know had like a couple of his fingers cut off in a coal mine before he got onto the baseball field, that type of stuff. And that was the first point is history. You start making a historical connection. And this is something very different than textbook history from high school, you know, guys in wigs, that kind of stuff. Like this is very accessible and it hits you in a more personal way. And I've taken that approach with vintage to sort of look at the cards. Another big piece was, was the art and the nostalgia piece is like, think about the eras that you kind of have a fondness for, the, the aesthetics of the card. And I'll say, wow, I really like the look of that. I like the color saturation. Then you start reading about the athlete and you've made a really strong connection that I think is quite a bit different than what you have today watching today's athletes. Different connection there and everybody loves that. This is a different path and I think it kind of enriches the collecting experience. The big piece from an investment perspective is that it's financially stable and I think that's uh, really worth noting. I mean, not to say the cards don't go up and down, but they don't see the same big swings that other things do. So I think it's a lot of fun and, and if you're trying to park something in a little, little bit more security, a little more blue chip, you can do that. Now I will say, I have these cards, you know, I just demonstrated this while I was doing the episode. Again, this visual aspect of Market Movers X. A lot of people say that they don't think we have vintage in Market Movers, and we have tens of thousands of vintage, over a hundred, like a lot of vintage cards. That's what Parker and the rest of our data team I've has been, been working, working on working hard at all for the last this, yeah. three, four months. And we've got entire T205 set in here, entire checklists of these products from the most notable down to the least in all the grades. So if you're a vintage collector, you should check out Market Movers X and give it a try because I, I really think we've we've got the best vintage database in terms of uh, pricing tools out there. Yeah, no, that's awesome, and I, I mean the historical nature of it is is you know definitely true. It's interesting all the stories you talk about. I feel like we romanticize these old players more than the current. The truth of the matter is, 
you know, you go these baseball players in the 20s and the 30s and, you know, the 1910s that we romanticize now. The truth of the matter is these were a lot of coal miners from West Virginia who yeah. who were drunks and womanizers. And I mean, they weren't, you know, some they, of they them. Okay. Yeah, you know, a uh, lot of them. A lot of, of them, them might have been there. They were not necessarily indicative of, uh, you know, perhaps the greatest uh, moral attributes at all times. But you know what? A hundred years has gone by. We look back at these folks fondly. We romanticize all that gossipy details like lost in the ether. And instead we see these heroic, you know, figures of, of yesteryear, right? Even, even Ty Cobb is likable today, yeah. even though apparently that guy was just an SOB, you know, uh, to everybody who knew him back in the right. day. Is that why we love vintage, Doug? Is that why you love vintage? Do you romanticize about, about the days of yonder? Well, if I knew that they were all drug addicts and bank robbers, like you just said, maybe <laughs> I would care more about vintage. But I've got a bit of a hot take, and I know the, our audience is going to hate me because I know, well, they already do, maybe. But I know how our audience thinks a lot of the times from reading comments. Vintage is so boring to me. And I actually have the exact opposite take of Teapot on this, is I have zero connection to them at all. When I go to a dealer's table at a card show and I see a table full of vintage, it just melds together to me. Everybody's in the same pose, the same outfit, the same color patterns. It just does nothing for me at all. Um, obviously, you cannot ignore how stable it is as an era for, from an investment standpoint. And a, a word we overuse in the hobby a lot is iconic. But that really does apply to a lot of cards from that area. So that era. So from an art and iconic standpoint, from a stable investment standpoint, it certainly has its place. But I'm so bored by it. I felt that way two years ago. I went to the yeah. national, and I skipped every vintage booth. Yeah. This last year, I almost exclusively went to vintage booths. It just really. Yeah. I I got the bug. I think I started getting into it more and really just staring at the cards like artwork. And they sort of grab you and speak to you in a different way. I don't know. You don't don't write it off forever. It might get you, Doug. So uh, apologies to my friend Ryan at Breakout Cards. I know he's probably tearing his hair out over my statements here. But for me, and you know, you know me, Jeff. I love to gamble. I love to take risks. Yeah. I'm, I'm going after ultra modern because sure. the ROI is so much higher, and it's so much more satisfying to me when I pick this prospect and it 10x's. There's just not that excitement for me in vintage. So I'm just like, eh. Yeah. I like to collect the high character guys. Christy Mathewson, LK Line, Mickey Mantle. No banks robbed. No, no. bank robbers. Okay. Ty Cobb's famous tiger, but I don't, I mean, <laughs> I, maybe I'll buy a Ty Cobb card, but yeah. yeah, we've got some problems in our own time too. Fair enough. Don't let that confuse you. <laughs> Fair enough. This is, this is a good debate. I will say that when I got back into cards, I was 100% ultra modern. I'm still not, I, I'm not nearly as, as, as deep into vintage as you are for some of the reasons why you mentioned, but I will say that there are certain vintage cards that have really stood out to me and really caught my eye because I see them as the historical like artifacts. The history of sports cards, the history of baseball, the history of sport in America, all put together in, you know, and, and then also how has my 1933 Gaudi Babe Ruths, how have those survived 100 years, yeah. almost 90 years, you know, without, with, you know, where, who owned them? How did they survive? It's kind of cool to look at something that old and to own something that old. So. I like that aspect of it. Sure. I asked on Instagram some feedback about why people like vintage and sports card and sunset said he feels like he's the steward of a piece of art that was that was like lived previous lives. Mm -hmm. So you're getting, you know, it's like getting an heirloom from, from a family member. It's, yeah. it's cool. Absolutely. All right, guys, we will be right back with a couple more topics, but first check this out.
It's all available for you at slapstrong.com. And if you use promo code SCI, you're going to get 10% off your order of these protective bumper sleeves for trading cards at slabstrong.com, promo code SCI. Okay, guys, let's jump into our next topic. This was one a viewer asked after our last episode. He said, do you think cards are still a good investment? <laughs> and if so, why are cards still a good investment? It's a big question, Doug, but we've only got a couple of minutes to cover it. So bestow your wisdom upon us. Well, we're sports card investors, so you can maybe predict the direction I'm going with this. But sports themselves, they're not going anywhere. We all obsess over our favorite and least favorite players and teams. And for a lot of us, it's rewarding to leverage that knowledge into investing in cards and seeing that return. Um, the nostalgia factor is huge for someone like me. Like, we grew up collecting cards, probably. And now for you guys, not me, but you guys now have the opportunity to share that with the next generation. That's probably really rewarding. So I imagine a lot of people have that same experience. And then another factor that I think is really important is how Fanatics is planning to mainstream sports cards going forward. We're going to see them on Monday Night Football. We're going to see commercials run for them. People that have never heard of a trading card before, they're going to be inundated with that just by watching sports going forward. I don't think you can ignore that aspect at all. I think that's going to be massive going forward. I agree. It's going to help the market for sure. Teapot, how about you? Yeah, I mean... I, I wrote down the exact same thing. Sports aren't going anywhere. The other thing that's not going anywhere is the psychology of collecting. Mm -hmm. We yeah. like to collect. Yep. Humans like to collect things. And people have different kinds of collections. There's a huge portion of people who like to collect sports-related cards and memorabilia. And that's that. this is re very related to our original topic for today, right? It's the other half of it. Now, I think reasons why you would you know, still want to buy cards, one, you're in it for the long term. So you're just good with that. And two... Hopefully you enjoy the cardboard. Hopefully you like collecting and you can, you know, have that. There were a lot of people, you know, not everything's going to be a good investment. It's just not. In fact, the majority of the stuff won't be if it's ultra modern. It's yeah. going to like fade over time. And we try to be very transparent about that. Lately, I've been having a lot of friends calling me up and go, oh, you're into cards. Are my Paul Molitors or Alonzo Mornings, like, am I going to retire on this now? Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're not. It's what's going to happen with a lot of athletes today over the long term. So I think being aware of that now, that being said... We all collected when we were younger, and all those things that we spent money on when we were kids largely aren't worth very much today. We probably got burned. Here we are back for more. So there's a fun component to it. There's a nostalgia component to it, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Doug, with like having children and getting them involved in it. It's something really that you can share with your, with your family and friends, and um, I, I just don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah. So hopefully that's, that's the mindset of most people getting into this. Well, and sports cars have a 50-plus year history of maintaining value. Correct. I mean, they've had a they've had a really good long track. The high quality stuff, yeah. right? The yeah. vintage stuff, the, yeah. the 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 stars, the goats, the you know high grade stuff that has had a long track record of maintaining value. And while I agree with you, obviously with the junk wax era, we've got potential overprinting of ultra modern these last few years and that type of thing. If you're going after the key cards that have scarcity, that have desire, and that are going to be desired 20, 30, 50 years from now, those types of players, I feel very confident in where those cards are going to be value-wise 20, 30, 50 years because I think people are going to continue to want to do this because it is fun. It's a little bit of sports gambling mixed with a little bit of fantasy sports. It's, it's that collecting bug. It's got a little bit of history, yep. as we just talked about, intertwined. Yep. There's so many different aspects. And, of course, you mentioned fanatics as you know helping push the future of this. Yeah. The other aspect that could really push, push the future of this is if this – really expands outside the United States. Yes. Yeah. I mean, right now, you're mainly U.S. You, you, have, you have hockey in Canada, and you have basketball a little bit in Canada as well. You've got 
Australia as an area, a little bit in, in Asia, the Philippines. China. China, China loves China, China. But there's a lot, there's, it, it's, it's getting slightly bigger in Europe. You've got a card show now regularly in London. Yeah. There's a card show in Germany, actually. I think next uh, week, week and a half from now, um, card show in Italy at some point in the Isn't David months. Adams opening in the Netherlands yeah. or something? Yeah. So yeah I, started, I know someone else in the hobby. I won't spoil the surprise, but talking about something in Spain, opening a shop in Spain. Uh. So if you see more of that, then that's another huge opportunity for cards to continue to expand and become more global and more investment. Anyway, lots of bright future ahead. We're out of time on that topic, but we're going to catch our last one. This one is an interesting one. It's around Tops Now cards, Panini Instant cards, these print-on-demand, buy-in-the-moment type cards. And this one is timely because this week in the top five, the number two card in the top five, believe it or not. Do you know what it was? Can you guess what it is? Probably Paulo Boncaro. Look at this. Somebody watches the top five here. So, you know, he's had a strong start, start to the season for the Orlando Magic. But because he's a rookie this year, none of the regular basketball sets with his cards have been printed yet. But Panini Instant has a couple of cards of his. His draft night card is out, for example. And... What we've seen is that the, you know, the raw version of that card, as well as a few people have already graded them as PSA 10, the price of those has been ticking up as his performance has been ticking up. Now, I don't necessarily think these make good long-term investments, but at the moment, there's some money to be made on these. Doug, what do, what do you think about these instant type of releases? Typically bad investments, right? I think we can all agree a paper card that's print to order, as many as you want, you can buy. Um, those aren't going to do well over time, most of the time. Now the one-offs from this, you know, we're seeking as collectors, we want packable products. We want things from flagship or at least known brands instead of, you know, instant or now. Uh, Topps has done one thing really smart by adding serial numbered cards to Topps now. So there's that element to it, which adds a little bit of chase there, even if 100,000 of the cards are printed. But what they're able to do is they're able to capitalize on iconic moments, like Judge, for instance, or they're able to capitalize on a gap between product cycles, like with Paula Bencaro. Uh, they're able to have a rookie card out before you know Donruss drops this, this winter. But there are some other instances when you look back, what really happens is if something were to fly under the radar. Like Erling Holland has an early Tops Now card that the print runs only like 650 on. And that's a really sought after card, a very valuable card because people just weren't shopping for him. It's harder in the most mainstream sports for a guy to go under the radar like that. But you still see that opportunity in soccer from time to time because there's just so many leagues and there's so many conferences and there's so many players. There's guys that don't make checklists for those products and Tops Now might be the only way to get that person out. So there's, there are opportunities there. You just have to be smart about how you go about it. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? What do you think, T. Bot? You agree? I like everything you just said. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, I wouldn't touch the Panini Instant, you know, yeah. uh, Boncaro, the rookie stuff that just comes out before everything else. Yeah. Back in 2019, the Zion National yeah. cards went crazy. I bought a bunch. I, bought I a did bunch. too. I bought a bunch of the Zion. I, I bought two cards. of them. I bought one of them at okay. the time, lost money, yeah. <laughs> and I bought another one because I was banking and I, I was able to kind of recoup my costs and, pl and played a little bit. But those cards just come down in it's just yeah, like the yeah. it's just like the draft the collegiate product that comes out early and everybody pays for it and then it comes down now that doesn't mean you can't collect it but is it investable long term no the ones that i do think can be long term are those iconic milestones we saw if you go to ebay's just sold history and look up sorting price greatest to least what do you get? You get Judge's 62 home runs. You get Judge's rookie card with 30 home runs, breaking the, the Yankees rookie record. You get uh, Shohei Otani hitting his first home run in his rookie debut you know, for the Angels. You get cards like that, and you get Erling Holland 
those are the ones that show up. I also wouldn't buy those at a hot moment. Like sure. I would wait for them to come down. Now, what I really like and prefer to this is like Tops Update, 2022 Tops Update has Miguel Cabrera celebrating 3,000 hits yeah. in the set yeah. with yeah. parallels. So timely, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. what I yeah. like to no, see. I agree. That's so cool. I go for those over the other ones. Yeah, I agree with what you guys said. Uh, good collector cards, though. I do oh, yeah. like yeah. the fact that they can make some really unique cards at they the can. moment. I bought the one of Steve Aoki's pitch. <laughs> if you want to call it a pitch, I was trying to think what other word I would describe uh, it with, but his first moment? pitch. His, his moment against the, at the Boston Red Sox Stadium. And, you know, that's fun. The Tops had it the very next day as a Tops Now yes. card. I bought yep. five yep. of them. Hey, he sometimes watches day. this show. Steve, I think it was a great pitch. You did wonderful. <laughs> the, the, uh, the Bernie Sanders mitten card went yeah. crazy. It's that fun. was worth noting. That they're one fun. totally They're crazy. fun. Not investments, but you know what? They're, they're, for the most part, not investments, but you know what? They're a lot of fun. Also fun is when we get topics from you to discuss on this show. So take a moment right now, go into the YouTube comments and leave us a topic you would like us to discuss in the mailbag section next week. If you enjoyed the show, give it a like and give it a subscribe. We appreciate you and we'll see you soon with our next one. Take care.